NapaBroadcasting.com, the online radio home of Napa Valley College. Welcome back to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley College Now, as I'm joined by Napa Valley College Police Chief Ken Arnold, who came back from a, a fascinating trip up to Umpqua Community College and both a sad mission and an interesting one. Ken, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you, Jeff, or thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. First of all, tell us what made you go up there. I mean, it was part of a specific program, first of all. So outside of the college, uh, I am a what is called a comfort dog handler. So our particular church, we have dogs that are specially trained to provide emotional support and in times of crisis. We go out, you know, locally to a family, for instance, in Napa, who who might have been um, had domestic violence, a death in their family, something like that. Or in this particular case, we can go as part of a larger team, and uh, there were eight dogs um, and handlers who uh, were traveled to Umpqua Community College at the request of the president of Umpqua Community College to be there for the first week as the students came back to class. So what preceded the particular week that I went up there is some of our folks had been up there the week prior to that to help with staff and Mm -hmm. for the staff to sort of come to terms with what was going on, uh, what the event had been. And the people, um, it was interesting. The, The college itself was sort of leery of what the comfort dogs could do at first until they started to see them in action and even the counselors and everybody after a while they were joint deployments uh, the comfort dogs really had a had a significant impact on giving people that that vehicle to open up and talk to the counselors um, sometimes they would just you know pet the dog and there would be no conversation and sometimes you the people would start out by telling you about the event that happened and then the, so it just it just varied so that's why I was actually up there what was interesting is having being the chief poli- chief of police for Napa Valley College was to look at how was that college recovering what were the things that were going on that were sort of recovery related which were things that then I could look at and say from a as a police professional or as a person responsible for emergency response at a college what are the lessons the good lessons that I could take home from watching that recovery on that firsthand basis. So it's sort of two things I was doing up there. The other part of it in addition to how to handle that and recovery was thinking about I have to imagine thinking about what they did or what could be done in other colleges, including this one, in terms of preparation or preparedness in case something like that were to happen. So I don't want to—anything that I say, I don't want to take away from the uh, the tragedy that happened up there. Right. The decisions that people made that day or anything that led up to to what happened up there, and, and it should never be construed as an indictment. And honestly, other than uh, compassion for the people— who lost their lives, the survivors in that community, um, there, there would there, nothing that I say should be taken uh, as an indictment of, the, of those folks. Um, the impression was that the college did uh, what a lot of colleges do, frankly, what a lot of communities do. Every, nobody wants to believe that that kind of evil, that kind of uh, horrible event is going to be in their community. And, and very much um, that seemed to be the mindset at the time. Uh, they're a small college. They're uh, about, a th- about a third the size of Napa Valley College. 
but they also uh, their security is uh, they have a um, uh, a different security setup than we have a uh, quite a bit different than than what the what Napa Valley College has uh, so you know really sort of a difference I mean I think um, it was more on security for property and less of thinking about security as it interacts mm-hmm. and deals with people issues in looking at that did you come back in more aware of things that might be done in sort of anticipation or preparation of some kind of an incident on a campus? It's more a case of um, continuing to do what we're doing. So the, for instance, where we do training on how to respond to an armed intruder. It is um, more than ever, I'm convinced that the, the, that resistance to um, the armed intruder is what will help bring these events to a close faster. Now that's that's a tough thing for people to do, and and you can't just sort of say that and then have that be the case. Right. You have to do training. But I think if you contrast what happened at UCC versus UC Merced, you see sort of a different approach. And what, what, what were the differences? So, so again. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying right, as sure. to say that this is any indictment of anyone who was up in that room and the decisions they made that day. But there was a there's a sort of a different take in in the discussions I had with students in in Oregon, and I have not talked to anybody at the UC Merced. But at UC Merced, what you had was resistance. So the young man pulled out a knife. He did manage to stab people. But his fantasy, the fantasy that he had created, and, and in all these cases, these shooters create fantasies in, your, in their head, if you will, of how they think things are going to go. Mm-hmm. And the UC Merced, his got disrupted because people fought back at him. Now, um, he, he managed to stab people. He managed to hurt people. But they actively resisted. He then fled the building, was out on a bridge, and, but he was being pursued by other students at a distance so you know so there and and the reason i think the difference is you uc merced uses a version of that active resistance mm-hmm. that they've adopted as a college that we generally use and teach as a college and at ucc i didn't get the sense that they had ever really even talked about that right was that because of their size or was that i mean and and this is a general question it's not really yeah. just about ucc but do you sense that these things are about size or about place? Some places just don't feel that that's anything that's going to happen. There. I think it can be any. It could be any of the above. Um, I, I honestly, I, it, most of the time my experience is that, that uh, institutions of higher learning or, frankly, any community doesn't want to think that evil can happen like that. Mm-hmm. And, and in, so in a way it seems remote to them and they – and so in the planning process, whether it is um, that they just think it's not going to happen or it's that I really, you know, if I don't want to alarm people because then that makes people think it could happen. You know, I, I don't know. I, I wish I did. I don't. Right. The, you know, what I do believe is that there's enough evidence. There have been enough events where prudently you have to believe that it is possible. 
Now, statistically, it is highly unlikely that most people will ever be subjected to that level of violence in their life unless you're in certain professions. But the average person will never be subjected to that. Having said that, though, you're always playing the odds then. You know, nobody in a movie theater thought somebody was going to shoot up a movie theater. Nobody at UCC thought they would ever have an active shooter event. Nobody at Merced thought that somebody was going to pull a knife in a classroom and start stabbing people. Statistically, those are small numbers. The problem is it's sort of like an airplane crash. You know, we always see the stewardess. We don't always pay attention to what they're saying. But if, you know, but the odds are something could happen and you got to be ready. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about the recovery and how mm-hmm. any institution, UCC or Merced or any of these institutions, really begin the process of recovering from mm-hmm. something like this. So what I what I was watching up uh, or what I, again, was able to observe, so you th- sort of think about is taking, you've got to do a lot of little things um, all in sequence to try to put the recovery back into motion. And one of the things I thought was um, good that they really did is they attempted to create a new normal in recognition that everybody always talks about getting back to normal. When you have an event like this, normal doesn't exist any longer. Right. Your, your normal will always now be with this tragic event in it. Everybody's normal will be somehow tied to this event. And so as a campus, you need to create, you need to go through creating that new normal. So it appeared what they did is the first week was about sort of staff and recovery. Students, the campus was closed to students, and it was about getting staff back, dealing with their needs, helping them come up with new routines, process what had happened to them, in addition to uh, reorganizing the class schedule and doing those things. So I thought that was really very very um, intuitively, um, or not intuitively, that was done well. The idea that you had that first week was sort of that get your resources, get recovery, help people get ready to then have the students back. That, um, and then there, the comfort dogs where they did is we provided assistance to both faculty and to some students who come back to get their property. Because the other thing to think about mm. is your campus. You know, you had thousands of backpacks, phones, right. um, personal property, cars, and things that were just abandoned and left behind during the process of fleeing the campus. So you had to recover all of that. You had to tag it all. You had to go and move it all to a room. You had to have people come and get it all. So there was sort of the, that was one process. You had crime scene investigation that was still going on, and that was another thing that people didn't necessarily need to be there to, to witness, but the, but the area needed to be processed and the building had to be dealt with. Um, and then you had staff who, who were um, varying levels of being affected, depending on where they were, but they had to uh, create a new normal. They, they have to go on teaching classes. They have to go on doing what their jobs are. And so it was adjusting and getting them ready for the students. Week two, the students come back. And, uh, again, some very good things with regards to recovery. One of the things they did is they knew that, you know, this clearly the media was going to be there. So they uh, 
had the media out there for uh, about an hour and a half on day one, along with the elected officials. And then once all the meetings and everything were done, they were sent, those folks were sent on their way, and it became about the students. So the media was sort of banned from the campus, and then it was really just the students and people interacting with the students, getting them used to creating now their new normal. The students, when we saw them, they sort of ran a gambit from the student who, yes, this happened, but I'm moving on and I need to I need to get my education, to students who were sort of processing it and trying to create a new normal, and then some students who were stuck. They mm-hmm. they didn't seem to have an ability to move right now beyond the trauma of the event. So, um, again, using the, um, in our case, using the comfort dogs as that vehicle, we would be in the main area where the students were, and we would just simply be there with the dog and in different areas. And people would come out and they would pet the dog, and sometimes um, they're not saying anything to us. The, the dog would, uh, you, the dog could sense oftentimes how much hurt they were and uh, you could see the dog move up against the person and, and just sort of sense what was going on. Sometimes we had people who showed up and they might just sit there and pet the dog for an hour and they, they might cry a little bit uh, and not say anything. We had other people who would show up and would pet the dog and it was very conversational and, mm-hmm. and uh, sort of what was going on and, and you would be having sort of what, what appears to be this sort of normal conversation and then they would they would then start relaying what had happened, where they were, and and how the event had affected them. And in a couple of cases, we had, um, in, in one case for me particularly, I had a young lady come up, and she's talking to me, and she's petting uh, the dog, and she's talking about, well, it's my third day on campus. And so that's great. And how's it, you know, I said, uh, you know, how, how have you been doing? And she goes, it's the first day I could get out of the car, though. Mm-hmm. So she wow. had been on campus for three days. She couldn't get out of the car the, the first two days. She just couldn't seem to bring herself because she had been relatively close to where the event had occurred, and she couldn't get out of it. Uh, another person we had was a, she was uh, we were working with a young lady who, who, who we saw off and on over the course of the three days and uh, came to us and, and said that she needed to know what could one of the dogs go with her because she needed to walk past Snyder Hall, which is where the event had occurred. Said she, you know, she needed, she knows she had to do it, but she just, she just couldn't do it. And in the process of talking to her, um, we also got um, a counselor to come in. So some of these we would recognize as handlers. We're not counselors. We, and so it became a, a buddy system, if you will, the, the, the trained counselor, the dog acting as the vehicle, and then at that point we're the handler. But the young lady was saying that um, it, as, as we were really sort of as this evolved, she says that she had showed up on campus and she saw somebody get shot in the head. And so she was walking to the room that morning. She saw the first person get shot and that she had turned around and, and ran and got in her car and left, and which was the entirely the correct thing to do, absolutely the appropriate response. But she was feeling guilty mm-hmm. because she didn't do anything. And she was coming to recognize that 
that even though she could cognitively recognize that she that she didn't have any need to feel guilty, she still did, and and that Snyder Hall was something she had to deal with. Um, um, very interesting, very interesting to see somebody that young and, and really sort of be that insightful, uh, which is actually where I I sort of I keep using the term new normal, and uh, she wrote a a, a very um, nice. Uh, passage in, in on a Facebook page talking about needing to create that new normal, mm-hmm. and and that because her life will now always have these events in it, but she's going to have to come to terms with them now. In addition to law enforcement, and then the dogs, which we've been talking about, how was this all interfaced with mental health professionals that might have been around? The uh, so that that was an interesting because again, you know, um, I had the luxury of sort of being a passive observer in many respects mm-hmm. and watching what was going on. And so it was interesting. Some of some of the, the mental health workers, I think, where the, um, everybody, where they, they wanted to, like, go and have a debriefing in a class, uh, we were there for a couple of sessions, and, and I'm not sure that worked very well. And, and, and just sort of watching the body language of people in the class. Some people... Again, you had you 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 had a whole gambit of people's responses from yes, this happened, but I need to get on with my education, to people who clearly were feeling it much more emotionally. And when they were in that classroom setting, it it became this group event that lacked individualization. Hmm. Um. And so we, t- you know, I think where we were most effective is when the counselors were out in in areas where people could approach them. One of the things we did with the comfort dogs is we didn't sit around as a group. We would be in various places as as a, as maybe a one or two dog uh, team with some uh, sometimes with mental health, and it allowed people to come and seek you out. And then so those those folks who really needed to talk could seek out people and then have that discussion or have that quiet time or be comforted by the dog and then be ready to say something. Um, and we found that to be very effective. So that is certainly one of the things that sort of went in into the, my after action of, you know, when we look at that, the traditional group setting may or may not be as effective mm-hmm. um, as as we as you think. So a lot of it is provide opportunities for people in that small setting because they may not be comfortable equally. We saw that when we had four or five dogs together and you'd have a group of students. People weren't necessarily comfortable being the first person to say something mm-hmm. in, you know, in that group. But yet we would see that person maybe a few hours later by themselves, and as by themselves they were ready to process and not – you know, not as a group. So the um, so that that was the one of the things we saw. The other one is you needed to have you need to create uh, memorials basically and give people an opportunity to express feelings. So one of the things they did there is they had both their official memorial uh, where people could leave flowers, candles, write notes, and and uh, and do events like that. And then there were banners around the campus in various places where, again, people could write notes. 
Um, clearly there, I thought that that was a process that somehow gets added in there. You, you need to create those memorial moments for people to express what's going on. And, and that was that was certainly um, something to do. The other one was that they also created sort of an end event. And um, so on Thursday, they had a ceremony of raising the flag to full staff mm-hmm. and honoring the, the nine uh, students. But in essence, what was said but not said is as a community we will always have this but we have to move forward now right and you had to create that end event Uh, otherwise you run the risk of being stuck and and never you know never moving forward again is there a difference and and you were there at umqua community Mm -hmm. college not at at merced obviously so it's you know you can't answer it from your own experience but but is, is it your sense that there is a difference in the recovery process where there is resistance to a situation versus non-resistance. Does that impact how the recovery takes place? You know, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I would I would be, you know, having no experience at the Merced. Right, right. I, I mean, I really don't want to draw that conclusion. I think if, if I, maybe if I can contrast it to sort of a difference between in 2009, um, we had two robbers who fled to the college and were hiding from the police, from right, Napa police that. here on the college campus. And that affected a lot of folks. And I mean, that, that shook people's sense of safety and security. But nobody died. And there was no, the, the violence that, you know, the, the, the level of violence was different. So, yes, it shook our sense of security as an institution and as a college, but it was different than what I was feeling from people up there. Mm-hmm. Up there, you you really had people who were relating to, um, I mean, who, who, who had their sense of security viscerally ripped away from them in a, in a, in a way that was uh, violent and shocking mm-hmm. to them. And that had a much greater impact on them than our event, which is a bad event, but nobody died in it. Right. And if that would probably be the how to contrast it. Listening to those students describe, especially one of the things we did is we were in with the survivors uh, who were actually in the classroom at one point. And and having been in there, and and we were the dogs were assisting with the people who had physically been in there, listening to what had occurred in there. You know that was a it was a level of evil that most people will never ever see, right? Uh, and and it it shook people badly. Finally, I want to come back to to where we started which is the dogs and talk a little right. bit about this dog program itself the thing that, yeah, that brought so, you there yeah uh, so comfort dogs if uh, Aaron um, Aaron is our comfort dog he is the only west coast comfort dog at the moment it is uh, from uh, it is by Lutheran Church Charities and what the and it actually started from a school shooting at uh, Northwestern or excuse me Northeastern University in Chicago and uh, the person realized that, you know, there was a need to provide uh, comfort to people in times of great emotional stress as they 
attempt to recover from whatever the event was. Started out with uh, one dog and uh, with Lutheran Church Charities, and now there's 123 dogs deployed wow. um, in the Midwest, heading west. We're the first West Coast dog. Uh, they're soon to deploy a dog on the East Coast. So they're all golden retrievers, um, and um, the dogs are picked because of their personalities, and then they're um, raised for 15 months with handlers. They're trained to the same level of a service dog. They wear a cape like a service dog, but they're not a service dog because they don't serve a single individual. They right. So they have the same training. We have the, a very similar training to what a, uh, as a handler, um, we go through quite a bit of training, and uh, our job is to provide for Aaron and then to, uh, to ha- take the dogs into situations. It, it is really something to watch them because, you're, you know, a lot of people love dogs. Um, goldens are just everybody loves them. But be in a situation and watch these dogs really sense the hurt that somebody's feeling or sense that somebody needs needs that comfort. And, and in one case, um, again, at UCC, where I'm talking to a young lady and there's another young lady sitting uh, there with her. She's really not saying anything. And I'm watching Aaron, who is sensing, and he's, and he's, and Aaron again being the dog, he's, he's moving himself over slowly but surely until he makes contact with her, you know. And then, and then, and then she broke down, and 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 she realized that's what she needed. And then she was able to sort of release what was going on. We were able to get her help, but but he could sense he wasn't in contact with her at first, but he's 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 moving and watching and. and as you watch these dogs do this, and you and you watch them, we were at Valley Fire. Uh, mm-hmm. We deployed up to Calistoga, oh. and uh, the uh, the dogs were up there as well. And we still actually go up to uh, Middletown every so often to help out up there. But to watch the dogs really have this sense of who needs help and comfort, and sometimes it's a little bit, sometimes it can be an hour. But it's really a privilege to watch them. Um, it's Aaron Comfort Dog on uh, Facebook. If if you oh, great. he has his own Facebook page, and uh, and if you're looking for that, the Lutheran Church Charities under Comfort Dogs, and you can see how the the it it's a expanding uh, group. Chief Ken Arnold, I thank you so much for coming in and telling us about it. Great, thanks so much. You're listening to Napa Valley College now on NapaBroadcasting.com.